0: Let's get started. Lib nice. This is a whole, this is the start of a whole, a whole series of confusions. So libnice, nice. Not about nice. You know, when you, when you launch top or htop or whatever your choice is, you can re-nice or, or you can even use the command re-nice, uh, you can you can affect the quote-unquote niceness of a process, like how much percentage of your CPU time it sort of wants, it takes, it demands. Anyway, that's not what libnice is about. It is actually about ICE, I-C-E. What does that stand for? Interactive mm, Connectivity exchange or something like that i i should have had that on my screen before i started answering that question where is it yeah interactive connectivity establishment that's ice so i don't know where the n comes from in is in november lib nice i don't know where that comes from it's just lib nice but it's actually about it really really it's lib ice but they call it lib nice and they is lib dot free desktop org and by the way if you go to that site Good luck. Um, the 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 website for libnice, which is libnice completely uh, indecipherable. You'll go there. It's got the thinnest possible font against some of the most mismatched colors. Um, There's sort of a, I guess the, the, I guess the initial one is it does look to be maybe black on white, but it's so thin it doesn't come across as black on white. And then you scroll down and it's talking about traversing gnats and interoperability. And it's white on sort of a pale blue. So kind of the effect of maybe a cloud against the sky except it's really really thin fonts and then there's this bold yellow with black that's probably the most readable but it's just it's the worst and then there's this bright green and bright purple and even a brighter blue it's amazing how they have made this information completely inaccessible and it, whatever like coding standard they used for the website it's not using i think it's the um what's the main um element in html5 now i think that and i could be wrong on the the details here but it's not using something that firefox typically uses to offer a sort of a reader view um if you if you use firefox you, you may know that in the URL bar sometimes you get an extra little icon on the right, and it looks just like a document, a little page with some writing on it. And if you click that, it, it essentially extracts the main portion of the page that you're on and puts it into just a, a really a plain text view in your Firefox window. I use it all the time because it really just... it. Pushes all the excess away and just gives you the text. It's a beautiful experience. Um, but for libnice.freedesktop.org, I highly suggest because they don't have they don't have a sensible font, they don't have a way to adjust your view, and they don't have the Firefox. You know, they're not using whatever Firefox uses to identify like what the actual content of the page is. So I highly recommend just using links. Go to libnice.freedesktop.org, and it's much, much more readable that way. Anyway, libnice. What is it? As I've said, Interactive Connectivity Establishment, what does that mean? Well, it does have a bunch of stuff to do with uh, UDP data streams. UDP is, of course, kind of the, I guess the, uh, let's call it an alternative to TCP. It's it's the other thing, you know, for IP, TCP IP. Well, there's also UDP. And UDP is known for being um, less strict, I guess, than TCP. It it sends out data packets. And it doesn't ever check whether that data packet was received. And that's a desirable trait for some applications. Sometimes you you would rather just send a bunch of data and hope that most of it gets to the destination. And trust that if a packet or two is lost along the way for whatever reason, that's fine. It'll be a momentary glitch in in a very long stream and it won't matter. And that, of course, applies strongly to streaming audio, streaming video, that sort of thing. And if you've ever been streaming audio and video, maybe on a video call or something, and someone freezes momentarily, or they you lose their, their sound, or they become like a robot voice sound, just momentarily, that's probably what's happening, is that the UDP stream lost a couple of packets and and for just a moment you notice that those packets are lost because you you lose data but we're pretty um agile beings us humans and we can kind of interpret around some of those lost packets so if if i was talking to you about um oh i just installed slackware desktop you would know that what i was you lost maybe a couple of words in there but it doesn't really matter what they were it was probably like slackware linux on my desktop or something like that but i mean who cares you get the idea so udp is useful for exactly that use case let's just get the data across the the wires as quickly as or yeah as quickly and efficiently as possible let's not let's not clog things up by asking, tapping the other side on the shoulder again to say, hey, I sent you that package. Did you get the package? And then the other side will say, yes, I got the package. Thanks. And then I'll say, okay, I understand that you got the package. Now I'm going to send you the next packet. You know, forget that. UDP just sends the data. But problem is, sometimes things are so buried within a network that the UDP connection between computers, there's no... How do you find that exact computer when you've had to traverse a NAT? A NAT is uh, what is it? Network Address Translation, I think. I mean... I know what it is. I just don't know what it stands for. But I think that's probably what it is: network address translation. And the T could be something different, but it's definitely network address translation or transformation or whatever. Uh, and it it's the thing that enables if you've got a server uh, at your in your house or at your business, and that server is sitting sort of like between the internet and your company then that server is it's it's essentially the gateway that's what they call it in fact a gateway server it's the gateway to and from the internet that's the portal through everything through which everything passes so all the computers on the network they have to talk to that server and that server sends all their communication out into the world receives information back and distributes it back out to the network and part of the reason we have that is because ipv4 we don't have enough addresses for everybody um and so we we kind of put these big servers in the front of our net at the front of the network to just be one address for up to 254 other uh, entities on that network. Well, I say 200, it can be a lot more than that because you can have lots of subnets and and you know you can define lots of networks within your within your company. So I mean, actually, it could be a lot more than that. Um, so. That's that's this server. the The problem here is that that server, let's say, has an address of, um, you know, I don't know, seventeen dot ten dot ten dot ten, or actually seventeen dot seventeen dot seventeen dot seventeen. Easy, easy, even easier. Uh, and and your your internal network, of course, you don't have a seventeen dot something something something. You have one nine two dot something something something, or a ten dot zero dot something something, or a one seven to dot something something. So it doesn't, your internal address, like when you just do an IP adder show in your terminal, you get some local address. Whereas the server, if you do an, a curl of can has IP, that's I-C-A-N-I... I C A N I can has h a z i p dot com. Then you get your your global address back from 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 of you from the outside. So when you're cre- when you're connecting to something outside of your local network, the other side believes that you are 17.17.17.17, even though you are actually 192.168.0.1 dot one or whatever. So there's a problem there, right? That they, they how can they find they can come knocking, you know, they can come to your neighborhood, but that doesn't mean they can find your house. So, libnice is a way for uh the system, your the the, the application that you are creating with libnice. It's a way to sort of the way that it does it sort of is is it kind of tags the communication from you or or rather from yeah, let's say from you, from your side of this conversation. It tags it with the gateway address plus local address, more or less. It doesn't exactly do that, um, but that's that's basically what it does. It, it, it tags your details, your local details, on the tail end of the global details. And it keeps track of that so that the other side the, the you know the application on the other side that's that's connected with your application on this side now you each know where not only what state you live in but what house within that state you live in i mean not literally what state and what house like that's it's an analogy what really i'm saying what global address you've just sent from and what local address within that global address you are, your your physical computer is actually located. It doesn't do this alone. It uses the uh, Turn server, which stands for. I did bring this one up. Uh, traversal using relays around NAT. Turn does sort of. I mean, its name is kind of self-descriptive. It figures out ways to 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 get sort of past the NAT that that network address translation. Without losing track of where the signal came from, uh, it can also use a stun server, which is the session traversal of user datagram of user datagram protocol through a network address translator, which is the NAT. So that's if you if you're tracking things, that's two acronyms contained within one. So it's stun is session traversal of UDP through NAT. And, and, and that's pretty similar. Again, it just ensures that once it connects to a gateway, it can find the thing, uh, you know, an external server to sort of lock on to and say, hey, I want to establish a connect, uh, a, a session with you. So just, keeping, you know, it's it's almost like using, um, I guess kind of a proxy in a way, um, or, or maybe a bookmark. You're essentially planting a, a you know, a, well, you're creating a session on a stun server, and, and then all the communication you do, um goes through that stun server first to to track you down. So libnice can use turn it can use stun to help it sort of establish you know and keep this connection. But but that's what libnice does. It it it, it ensures that you are able to create and keep track of an interactive connect Connection uh, beyond, you know, o- over your NAT, which is important for for things that that require kind of like that real time connection like a video call and this is used all all of these technologies well actually i don't know if Libnice nice is but stun and turn and, and certainly that sort of thing well stun is more i think for pbx but um i know that that turn definitely is used for uh web rtc so you know that kind of direct connection from computer to computer for for um for like a video call or or whatever th- that's 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 utilized uh for for that and and lib nice is, is just it's another technology that does that and i haven't tracked down exactly how they all sort of like interact and relate to each other um i should say that on libnice.freedesktop.org just looking at it in links because it's the only way that it's readable uh really really good references here you can uh you can go read about this stuff it's really really great documentation rfc8445 that's the interactive connectivity establishment um, RFC there's an R- RFC is request for comment it is the it is the sort of the documentation of these protocols like you know famous protocols like TCP and IP and and certainly ICE and TURN uh, RFC 5766 uh, RFC 5389 is the stun implementation so you can read all about it and it is connected from libnice.freedesktop.org just again you're just going to have to go to links and look at the website there because the website's useless. Well, the the web design is useless. It's the one of the worst. I, I've just I, it's one of the worst I've seen. It's really bad. Um, I mean, you should go there just to just to see it for yourself. org. I mean, looking at it, you can think you can see why they probably thought, yeah, that looks pretty modern and cool. Uh, it's just the, the, just the worst font for, uh, choice and the colors and oh, bad. Okay, lightweight library of c functions. That's libnih. That's the- oh wait, I forgot to do my LDD trick. That we're doing. For i in user bin do ldd of i, discard all the errors, uh, looking, grepping for libnice, and then echoing what we, what, what got a hit. Uh, so let's see what application actually is using libnice. If anything, Uh it could be that it's included for development and that's it. Starting to suspect that that might be the case because it's not coming up with anything. Okay, well that makes it easy to move on to libnih, which is a lightweight standard library, quote-unquote standard library of c functions to ease the development of other libraries and applications so it is it's a bunch of functions for c that are designed to help developers develop new libraries it's a library for library development um, there, there's not a whole lot of information on it on the github page i did an ldd for um LibNIH and it turns out that there's a nih-dbus-tool in user bin and and that's the only thing using this so again kind of definitely something that's really meant for for development because it's just not really used in anything except a tool that it also ships with uh, NIH-Dbus-tool generates C bindings for Dbus objects. That's what that does. I, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. If you, if you need it, I'm sure you'll 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 know it. So it's something to look at if you're doing a lot of C development, which I'm not. Libnjb is next. This is a library for Creative Nomad related <laughs> media devices. Remember last time I was talking? I think it was around when I was talking about lib MTP? No, there was something else in there. But anyway, talking about devices that had come up around the time of the iPod, around, you know, kind of concurrent to that. The Sansa Clip, Sansa, uh, other things, uh, the Nomad. Apparently there was a Dell DJ, digital audio player, various things. Uh, This, the Nomad, Creative Nomad, uh, Creative Labs, I think, was the the company that did nomad i think uh creative nomad jukebox and dell dj apparently are both supported by this lib uh njb nomad jukebox i guess and it is um it's a way to uh to 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 talk to your little music player your, your media device, not using MTP. And instead, you would be using NJB. So they have their own special protocol. Of course they do. And this is the open source version of that or, or implementation of that that protocol. So if you happen to have one of those old devices, this is the library that's going to make it possible for you to communicate with those devices. Is it actually used in anything? That's the question. Well, we'll find out as that runs. I'll, I'll move on to the next one. Next one is libnl. That's a library to communicate over, well, with Netlink. Oh, and I got NJB uh, results here. So I got NJB um, dash play, NJB dash tag tr dash set time, set dash dump time dash del file. So you kind of get the idea. I mean, these are commands you might expect to have to send a media player for whatever reason. So that's what. That's what. So again, this is kind of this is used really in its own application, like it's in in JB series of commands in user bin, and and that's what's using lib in in JB. That's that's all it's really being used for, which makes sense. I mean, this is exactly this is why libraries exist. This is uh, just being used by the application. Okay so that's lib in jb now we're on to lib in l which i said netlink what is netlink well that's a funny story so um this this is this is really funny so it says if you go to kernel.org uh slash doc slash html slash latest slash user space dash api slash netlink slash intro.html you find really good documentation, except, um, except, so it's great. It's a great example documentation. Like it's got, it's got code. It, it tells you how to use the, the, the library. It's very good. I have to admit though, the introduction, the introduction to the introduction is pretty darn funny. So first of all, Netlink is often described as an IO control or cuddle, whatever IO CTL replacement it aims to replace fixed format c structures as supplied to io control with a format allowing an easy way to add or extend argument so that that's a benefit obviously right like if it's if it's fixed and locked into place with io control then certainly it must be better that you can add uh, or extend arguments that you send to to an interaction with a with a subsystem But the problem here is from a documentation standpoint, in my opinion, you have to know what IO control is, right? I mean, without that context, without knowing what IO CTL is, you don't know what net, Link is. And IO control, it says that it controls devices. The IO control system call manipulates the underlying device parameters of special files. In particular, many operating characteristics of character special files, such as terminals, may be controlled with IO or control, whatever. The argument uh, FD must be an open file descriptor. Okay, so that's that's some background. Hopefully, you understand what that means. Um, So then it says, unfortunately, the protocol has evolved over the years in an organic and undocumented fashion making it hard to coherently explain. That cracks me up because, I mean, this is the documentation for LibNL. If it can't explain LibNL to us, then presumably no one can. Or actually, I'm sorry. This is the documentation for Netlink on on kernel.org. So, very funny um, documentation. First, it tells us what it's a replacement for, or more or less is a a replacement for, and then it tells us that it can't really explain what it does. Great. Um, But there is that all all of that said, all that that critique um, out there now, um, the, the this documentation is excellent. Like look through it, it it it's one of those things, and I guess this is what they're trying to say. I guess in their own documentation is that they can't explain it. But they can show you how to use it. I don't think that kind of thing actually is true. I I think I think what's happening is that the person who can explain it doesn't know how to explain it. But somebody knows what's going on here. Like this is you know this is not an unsolvable puzzle. We have the source code. Um. So anyway, what what is Netlink then? What what does it do? Well, um, if you poke around, and there are some good, uh, there are some really good documentation projects on or, or posts I guess about this one of which um I'm, I'm gonna definitely link in the show notes because it's um it, it it I think it probably does the best the best job this is um Yaroslav's blog written pretty recently too like 20230210 so it's it's pretty up to date uh it doesn't I think he said it doesn't cover ver- uh, c- kernel version 6.0 or or it does but it when he First wrote it, it didn't. So he added a section, something like that. So it's pretty, pretty up to date. So he says, if you're writing code in kernel space and want to communicate with it from user space, then you can do that through an an API, essentially libnl, that can talk to what's called generic netlink, which which is as opposed to just netlink, um, and and talk to the kernel, and, and that can be important sometimes when you need to. to Tell the kernel something. So netlink um, talks over sockets, Unix sockets, and libnl is the th- is the friendly thing that sort of protects you from having to deal, you know, directly with with netlink. You can use libnl to communicate with the kernel. Let the kernel know that you are, I don't know, adding a module or or whatever, like that that some process has been introduced that you need the you need um, You need to interrupt the kernel's normal uh, operating cycle for or you need to integrate that into the kernel's operating the ipc um, cycle so that's netlink that's as much i know as i know about it and like i said if you go to all the documentation sites about netlink that's almost all they know about it really although they will have code to show you which is um, really good to look at if if you need to know um this is a like an alternative to like just raw sysfs or IO control syscalls. So people obviously sort of appreciate it. Um, it's just nobody can explain it. That's all. So libnl3 is libnl except it's version 3. And you can find that at github.com slash thom311 slash libnl. And same same commentary applies about that. There's, there's really just no, not a whole lot of um, explanation available on on really what it does or why you would want to use it. And so I feel very much like once again, it's kind of one of those things that if you need it, you'll know it, and um, and then you'll 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 be able to I guess get enough of an example from kernel.org uh, to be able to use it in your own code. All right, so I'm gonna look. Uh, the next one here it's called lib notify and i feel like we've had a couple of these kinds of um these kinds of th- uh, things uh, these libraries recently like lib notification and lib uh, indicator and things like that uh but this one is the GNOME project, LibNotify. It's a library for sending desktop notifications to some notification daemon, as defined by um, the notifications or org.freedesktop.notifications uh, specification. So as I've said before, I think, and, and all of these things are kind of basically all sort of around the same idea, and that is that we need an abstract, an abstraction layer for the idea that, yes... All desktops, whether it's KDE, Plasma, whether it's GNOME, whether it's um, XFCE, or Openbox, or Fluxbox, or whatever. It, I mean, I know those aren't really desktops, those are Windows Manager. But, I mean, every, you know, sort of interface, visual interface, it, it notifications, like, we just, we do that. I mean, we, we even... Your phone has notifications. And which, you know, when I say that, you're like, well, obviously a phone has notifications. I, I, why would they not have notifications? But they that's not a foregone conclusion. Like The concept of a computer notifying you is not necessarily something that was built in from the start. I mean, it might notify you in direct response to an action that you take, but it, it might not notify you of something that's happening in the background that you didn't interact with your, uh, personally, but, but of course they do. And, and, uh, you know, on a terminal, you might see a notification like in your terminal or something. Um, But on a desktop, where does that notification, where does that happen? Well, it it happens in the notification system. Well, what's a notification system? Um, For a while, a lot of the different desktops had their own notification systems, and that was problematic. We, We needed an abstraction for notification. We just, look, I need to broadcast a message to the user. I don't care how it gets to the user. Just make sure it gets to the user. And then whatever local library or subsystem is handling the notifications can take it from there lib notification is is the gnome project version of that and that's great i i think i've said it well i know i've said it before said in a previous episode a long, long time ago, I would love this kind of work to be done for file choosers. You know, like when you go to an application and you click Control-O or, you know, you go to File, Open, and it presents a file chooser. That's what I call it. I don't know what people normally call it, but I think a file chooser probably um, or an open file dialog window, whatever. Like that interface. I would love to be able to go to my system preferences and click this is the file chooser that I want to use on my system across every single application I want my bookmarks to be in this in this in the left hand column no matter what I want when I when I go up a level I want this I want that button to be located over here not over there you know I I want I would love to be able to do that I can't I cannot stand on 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 desktop Linux today that we still, in 2023, we still see different file choosers. And I know it probably happens on Windows and Mac a little bit. Like if you go out and buy some application that, that has a, a strong sort of design identity, maybe you go to that application and it has some kind of it's got its own custom file chooser like that does happen and 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 i realize that and it shouldn't happen there either <laughs> that's what i'm saying this is a computer we should be able to customize it and that is one of those things every single application practically all, all, almost we could just say every single application honestly we could just say that it might not be true those are exceptions those are outliers Every application has a file open or a file save, something like that. Save as, export, whatever. You have to interface with your file system. How are you going to do that? You're going to do it with a file chooser. Which file chooser would you like? Who cares? The user should be able to define that for themselves. I would love to have a lib file chooser and just be able to abstract all of those calls out to some other thing you could have you could use the built-in one but you could also use the cute one or the java one or the the blender one you know whatever like whatever kind of weird thing that you want to use you should have access to it if it's on your computer and you should have access to it from every single application i should not see a different set of bookmarks in my audacity file chooser flat pack though it is Uh, and my LibreOffice file chooser. That's probably a flat pack too lately, I don't know. Point is, we should have the choice. Now, of course, that has nothing to do with lib notification, but I was just trying to tie in my my desire for a singular interface uh, i'll tie that into you know kind of piggyback off of of lib notification or lib notify what it was whatever it was called uh next up is lib nsl but you're probably thinking seems like a time for a coffee and so am i so let's go get some coffee we'll come back finish up the n section A cup of coffee. I didn't get around to the place I was hoping to get to whilst in Dunedin last week for good coffee beans. The place that I was attempting to go to, but they, the schedules just never aligned. I was either in the area when they were closed or just not in the area at all. But the place that I wanted to go to was it is called Mazagran and i don't know what that means but that's what it's called and they they are well known in the in the region for roasting their own beans and they'll sell it to you hot off the roast i mean you can get warm coffee beans from this place it's really cool um but i didn't get there so instead i got two other things one of which so far i have tried this one is inca fe so that's inca like i n c a like the uh south american tribe uh, the the people I think mostly of peru a uh, big empire down there a long time ago inca and then fe f e which i i don't know like off the top of my head that would be like faith or something but i'm i'm not 100% sure um i don't know if that's just a latin word or is it is that Spanish? Fe F E. Anyway, uh, in cafe. The the clever thing here, obviously, maybe is C A F E cafe. cafe. In, so it's really in cafe, in cafe. So incafe. Uh, I got the merin brand or the Marin blend, I should say, and and the 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 flavor of this and it is appropriately from peru so um peru uh the 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 flavor profile of this according to the, the the bag here is chocolate dessert wine floral notes um i don't i i i'm not getting any of that from this sip of coffee uh it's good coffee it's very good I've tried it both in my uh, trusty you know, morning percolator that I use to make a bunch of coffee in the morning. And I've also made it in my uh, des- in my desktop. Stovetop. I-, I always say desktop there. Stovetop. Um, espresso maker. The mocha pot. Oh, and I've tried it in my plunger. So I've tried it lots of different ways. It's very good. Nice, bold flavor. It's very flavorful, which is great because that's what the other thing that I was drinking, like the the off-brand, you know, grab a bunch of coffee, put it in a bin brand. um, That's what it was really lacking. It just didn't have like, I mean, it, it tasted like coffee, but it didn't have like sort of a presence, you know? So this nice, bold flavor. I don't know. You could call it chocolate, I guess. A dessert wine? I, I don't even know what a dessert wine is. I mean, I guess it's a very sweet wine. Is this sweet? I guess if I put sugar in it, it would be. It's good. Um, it's. I don't know that it has chocolate and floral or dessert wine notes at all, but it does have flavor, and that's what I was lacking. So it's 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 suitable. It is it is fine. I would buy it again. I, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not like a devoted fan of it. However, it isn't that good. It wasn't one of those cups of coffee where I made it, I took a sip, and I thought, oh, that's a good coffee. It's just, you know, I... I made it, I took a sip, and I thought, oh, good, like, good coffee again. Thank goodness. You know, that was kind of my reaction. It was just, in comparison to what I've been drinking, it is better. Let's talk LibNSL. LibNSL is a client interface for NISYP. So apparently this was actually formerly a part of GLibC, but they spun it off into its own library, Lib nsl so that it could link against TI RPC uh, for uh, IP version 6 compatibility. So NIS, I've never actually used NIS. I, I've vaguely heard of it, apparently. So the YP stands for Yellow Pages. Uh, so NIS and, and the more modern version of it, NIS Plus, and I say modern, you know, I mean, it was developed in like 1992. 1990- Two or something so um but i mean that's more modern than i guess nis yellow pages uh so nis is it, it's network information service is what it stands for it was something developed by sun microsystems so that's like wrapped up with the whole solaris thing uh, this was obviously before sun microsystems got bought up and subsumed by oracle so this was p- pretty old stuff Um, really exclusive to Unix, and it was, as its name suggests, network information was provided by NIS. Um, There, I, I, again, I've never used it, never had to configure it or anything like that, but it, it, it's the same kind of information you might get from DNS, so, you know, uh, IP address and domain name resolution, that kind of thing, uh, from LDAP. So, you know, getting information about who else is on your network, all of that kind of stuff is related, you know, NIS would have would have served that kind of information, maybe, maybe not exactly all of it, or maybe, you know, maybe there's a, maybe there's overlap, and then maybe there's some other stuff that, that wasn't there whatever um but NIS was was Sun Microsystems uh version of of dealing with with just kind of general awareness of the network for your computer and for more importantly for the applications running on your computer i mean you know like the cl- the actual clients you- on your computer so you would be able to discover services over the network in part because of NIS i guess again never used it never been on a network where it was in use that i know of lib nsl that's that one next up is lib this is the, it, oh, sorry, no, not lib-nss. lib, NSS. lib NSS underscore n-i-s. This is the n-s-s uh, plugin for n-i-s. Again, came from glib-c, got spun off on its own so it could do the whole IPv6 compatibility thing, I guess. So lib, or not lib-nss, but in SS itself is the name service switch. that's what that stands for and it connects internal f- system files like Etsy hosts, right and, and Etsy hosts, of course contains important host names that your computer uh, that you want your computer to um, know about and an external system like DNS or in this case, NIS lib NSS underscore NIS. Of course, this would be the NSS uh, the NIS module for NSS, and that way, if you are on a network using NIS, then NSS in your computer can still connect. For instance, Etsy hosts through you know to to NIS, and that way, you know, I mean, the simple simple example. Many of us have probably done this. Um, aliasing some kind of server that you don't want your computer to access out in the real world, you can alias that to something benign in Etsy hosts. So you, a lot of people will do this for, well, some people. Some people will do this for, like, ad blocking. Instead of blocking the ads on the internet through a browser plugin or something, you can add, you could say like uh, you know double click dot or whatever they are add dot I don't know whatever um, let's just make the, anytime you see that just go to one instead which of course won't have an ad for you so you just you just don't get it. So the call is, is just never, it never gets past your Etsy hosts, which is really, really nice. But if you were using NIS, then without NSS for underscore NIS, you would not be able to, you know, NIS wouldn't know about Etsy hosts. There are other uses as well, but I think in this, in this context, that's, that's kind of, that's the, that's a, a use case. That's all the ends we're done. that's the in section um we only have like one two three four four or five o's and i I feel like we could get through these yeah, let's do it okay so um lib o d f gen is It's a a library for generating documents in the open document format. So there you go. That's what that is. Um, If you need to create an ODF file with your application, this library will help you do that. That's really handy. ODF files are really cool; they're a lot of fun. But if, if you, you, once again, a li- it's a library. So if you don't want to go to the trouble of discovering all the different components of an ODF file, then you can use this library to, to set that up for you. And if you don't know, an ODF file is just it's a zip file. It's a, just a, it's an archive, and inside of it can, is contained a lot of XML data. There's data about the data, there's data, there's the data that you enter, translated into XML, and then when LibreOffice or whatever, Google Docs or Microsoft Word, does Microsoft Word open ODF now, or do they still pretend like no other software exists? I know Google Docs at least exports ODF, so whatever client you're using, you open up this, you, you send it this archive full of xml data and it translates it into something pretty laid out nicely formatted correctly with the right fonts with all the graphics that you dropped into it and so on so that's that's why odf works it's it's very cool you can actually literally just unzip an odf like the next time you have like an odt file um just just unzip it see what see what's in there it's really it's really interesting i did a lot of work with that um once to try to fix a problem with footnotes. Footnotes were acting up on on something, so I was trying to help someone do that. I don't think I ever figured it out, to be honest. That was too bad. Um, or actually, you know what? I think I figured it out on my system, but then it wouldn't work on their system. Something like that. Um, and I also I did a, another one. I had this I had this experiment that I was doing with Git repositories, and it involved like, you know, like, um, the binary, the the size of, a of an archive. And I was using an ODT document. And so I kept, I I don't remember what I was doing. I think I was like unzipping it and working on the thing and then zipping it back up. And then I don't, I don't remember exactly, but it was, I was trying to demonstrate, or I was trying to determine whether a Git repository Like, just how much a Git repository grew when you continually uh, committed binary blobs. And it didn't really grow that much. I was really interested. I was, I'm still a little mystified and really, really impressed. Like, it wasn't as bad as I'd anticipated. And, And so it was one of those experiments that sort of disproved itself instead of, or rather, disproved my hypothesis rather than then proved it, Uh, and so I kind of walked away from it, being very impressed with Git. And probably ODT. You know, the whole whole archiving and compression is just so cool. So, so efficient. So nice. Okay, next up is lib This is a library for manipulating aug bitstreams. It can handle making an aug bitstream and extracting packets from the aug bitstream. But that is compared to or pitted against liboggz oggz this comprises of liboggz and the tool oggz ogs which provides commands to inspect edit and validate og files there's also the ogs-chop tool that you can use to uh, serve just a time range of aug media over HTTP through any HTTP server that supports CGI. This lib... Og Z uh, claims to offer various improvements over the reference lib OG, uh, and it supports seeking and validating uh, and timestamp interpretation. Those are that's those are two pretty pretty big claims to fame. Who who actually is the best? How would we ever know? I don't really know. I guess we'd have to like use it and find out. Like that that would be really the only way I could think of to um to figure out. Which one I preferred? the The reality is, libog is in basically everything. Uh, not everything, but a lot. I'm talking a lot. There, it is in Account Wizard. I don't even know what that is. It's probably something for Kmail. Akanadi Archive Mail Agent. Akanadi Console. Akanadi EWS Resource. And and you can kind of imagine from there in terms of the A's. It's in Caligra, which is the KDE Office application, which I, I didn't really actually even realize I still had installed. Uh, there's KDE Connect, there's Kmail. there's Clipper, there's K-Wallet, um, there's Implayer, of course, there's Flack, Mincoder, Metaflack, Mumble, of course, well, Mumble isn't um, on Slackware, I installed that, didn't I? Uh, socks, of course, would have Socks. Uh, and and so on. I mean, it's just in it's in so many things. It's in Tulame. It's in Yaquake, It's in Vorbis content. A, a comment, rather. Again, I think I installed that myself. And so with Tulame as well. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm saying it's in everything because I'm looking at a bunch of stuff that I have myself installed. But it is in a lot. So that is. Um, something to think about. It's in a lot of applications. It just gets thrown into a lot of things because if, if it needs to handle an og file, then it's gonna use lib. That's just what the assumption is. Like let's just use lib. Well lib Og Z is in well just its its own application so um OGs chop Os codex Os comment Os dump Os info Os rip Os scan OGs sort and Augsvalidate. validate, so i'm gonna do an uh, Os info on let's find an og file here what could i find uh, i guess i should do a find in my music directory i'm mean, not actually my music directory but we'll call it a music directory and i'll just do a there we go okay so here is a um here's an aug well there's a lot of aug files that's what i've learned about myself i have a lot of aug files i don't even know where to begin here's something from the SDF Music um, Collective. Ogs info, and then we'll just paste in the path here to the SDF uh, song, or one of a, a song off of a compilation d- done by the SDF. People. Uh here's Vorbis, serial number 0607954841 Hopefully that's not important. Um it's it contains eighty-nine eight eight thousand nine hundred and forty-four packets in five hundred and sixty-two pages, 15.9 packets per page, one point two two nine AUG overhead. Audio sample rate is forty four and audio channels is two. So it's I don't know, it's it's not exactly FF probe, but maybe it's um, maybe there's you know maybe maybe you need that you know maybe this is what you need and, and you don't want the stuff that FFProbe gives you. Maybe you want to know about the packets in the pages. Um, there is also OGS Merge, which kind of seems pretty nice. So let's look at that really quick. Augs Merge, and remember this is augs with a Z, so O G G Z. The dash merge is what the the thing is. So you can merge two aug files together, and the syntax is the the file name presumably the file name and then dash o or dash dash output a new file name so i should be able to choose two different um two different files here so we we've got a a baseline of this one SDF song uh, let's do let's see th- this is from okay so let's do track 5 red Martian your and um, we'll we'll do an Augs merge of track four GRC vineyards and track five red Martian, your computer dash dash output just put it in my temporary directory and we'll call it test.org and now I'm going to do an Augs, Oh, it says, okay, so it says, um, no, don't do this. Merging vorbis 1 files, the resulting file contains two tracks in parallel, interleaved for simultaneous playback. That's not what I thought this was at all. If you want to sequence these files one after another, use cat instead. What a helpful message. Wow. That's one of the most helpful messages I have ever seen in a software. That is so cool. Um, I am definitely impressed. Okay, so let's take a look at what I've produced. Um, so I do have uh, augs info in my uh, test directory, a test.og, and I've got two different serial numbers: zero one eight seven nine four eight two nine nine, and the other one: o six o seven nine five four eight four one. I've got thirty five. Eight thousand eight hundred forty-one packets in nineteen sixty-two pages uh, in one sort of stream, and in the other stream, I've got the same eight thousand nine hundred forty-four packets in five hundred sixty-two pages. So that's the that's the original. So as as Augs merge warned me, I have created. A file that contains two two files sort of next to each other. So if I were to play this, I would hear both tracks playing at the same time. Probably not really what I want. Uh, as it says, you can actually just use cat to sequence Aug files. So I don't know. I mean that that impresses me, to be honest. Like that's really cool that they that that the author of Aug's merge thought to give you a little heads up that, hey, if you thought you were doing one thing, um just be aware that you're 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 not Uh, augs dump is a hex dump uh, view of an aug file it gives you you know the hex the hex dump on the left and then the canonical sort of decoding thing on the right lots of different applications there to play around with very cool i don't know how useful it is on an everyday basis it's not this you know there's not really these are editing kind of like yeah these are these are Code type applications. It's it's not stuff that you're going to use. It's not og one two three or og three two one, whatever that one is. Um, it is, and it's not flack. You know, it's it's just it's 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 tools to look at AUG data in in ways that. You don't, you know, normally you don't look at augmented data, right? You listen to it, you listen to the data stream. This is how to look at it. Okay, lib oil, oil, oil. I say that as two syllables lib, ol, lib oil, lib um, So, lib oil is a library of simple functions optimized for various CPUs. I love these descriptions, these are great. These functions are generally loops implementing simple algorithms such as converting an array of n integers to floating point numbers or multiplying and summing an array of n numbers. Such functions are candidates for significant optimization using, you guessed it, various techniques especially by using extended instructions provided by modern cpus such as altivec mmx sse and so on so that's liboil it it is as its name kind of does imply it's meant to sort of make the process of of these of of dealing with these you know these this data a little bit smoother and that means we're going to end the episode on lib Opus Inc. This is a library to help you encode Opus files. Of course I use opus inc uh every week when i release this very podcast the one that you're listening to right now uh, and possibly like literally the one that you're listening to right now like if you're listening to an opus file then you are listening to something that was encoded with opus inc and the command for that is probably in cast to cast pub to opus.sh yeah here it is okay so it's a function uh right now called ink to opus this is just okay so here we go opus ink it's a good one uh, I've got dash dash bitrate defining the bitrate I've got dash dash down mix dash mono so that it just comes through one one output so that way if someone's wearing an earbud or a you know headphone just in one ear they'll hear the same audio that someone he- hears when wearing Two earphones. Dash dash title. That's some metadata. Dash dash artist. That's some metadata. Dash dash comment. Album equals more metadata. Dash dash comment. Genre equals dash dash comment. Description equals the comment. Um, and then you give it the the source. Which, unfortunately, for whatever reason, um, the wave, like the Opus Inc, it, it won't go from like Flack to, to Opus. It, I don't know why. Um, it, instead, it, it really wants a wave file. So I have to temporarily encode my media to, to a dot wave which i don't I don't save things as waves I mean why would I flack is great, so I do have to go out to wave for this stupid command, and then from there, I go out to Opus and then of course I remove the the wave file so the the command is a little bit annoying, and I don't know exactly why these open source commands would ever like sort of not decode from like flack especially, but I mean you know you just someone has to think to put it in there or or else they don't put it in there and i can i can I can understand that. That's yet another function to write. So it doesn't. Yeah, you have to go out to wave as a user. That's fine. Whatever. Opus Inc. is the 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 place where lib opus inc. That's where it, it's. That's what it's compiled into. Lib opus inc. is used by opus inc. That's that's what drives opus inc. But that doesn't mean you can't use it elsewhere. If you're writing a program to, you know, convert things, or you, you, you want to make something that can decode from Flack and then encode into Opus, then this would be a library that you could use, LibOpus Inc. That'll get you out to Opus. Use it. And I think that's it for this episode. In the next episode, we'll continue two sections in one episode. That's the kind of progress we want. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.